Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. For two weeks, I have been promising that we would finally read Jesus' third passion prediction. And today is the day. We read it this morning. If you were paying attention or not, we did read it. You may remember when we read the first passion prediction two weeks ago on Transfiguration Sunday, way back in Mark chapter 8. Then Jesus predicted that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and after three days rise again. To which Peter responded by rebuking Jesus. You might remember this. Then Jesus rebuked Peter, told him to get behind me, Satan, and then suggested that he had his mind set on human things, not divine things. Following that, Jesus turned to the crowd and he told them, if any want to become my followers, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. On Ash Wednesday, we read the second passion prediction from Mark chapter 9. And in that, we read that Jesus and the disciples were, were walking, and Jesus told the disciples the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days later, after being killed, he will rise again. To which the disciples did not understand what he was saying. So they focused on something that they thought was more important. Which of them would be the greatest? And they argued about that. Until Jesus told them that whoever wants to be first of all must be servant of all. Last Sunday, you got a break. We didn't read a passion prediction. But we did read about it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Seems like I'd have rather read about a passion prediction. And Jesus then repeated to the disciples that those who are first will be last, and the last will be first, all of which sets the stage for this morning's final passion prediction. This passion prediction is followed with the disciples arguing again, not about who will be greatest, but who will have the best seat next to Jesus and his glory. <clears throat> it's interesting to note that Peter is the one who was rebuked after the first passion prediction, and then this morning it's James and John who are arguing about who should have a seat at Jesus' right hand or his left hand after the third passion prediction. And this is the only place in Mark's gospel where James and John are going to show up, not with Peter. Every other mention of James and John includes Peter. He's always with them. Peter, not so much. Peter gets in plenty of trouble on his own in Mark's gospel. Um, but it was Peter, James, and John who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, you might remember. Now, after the third passion prediction and James and John's argument about who gets to sit where, Jesus reminds the disciples and us that whoever wants to be great amongst you must be servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Seems like we've heard that before too, haven't we? Seems like in these past few weeks, Jesus keeps repeating himself over and over. For three chapters, we've read three passion predictions. 
We've read multiple times that the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. We've been told numerous times and in numerous ways that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, that we must take up our cross and follow Jesus, that we must have faith like a child. But what we haven't seen in worship is another story about Jesus healing the sight of a blind man. This morning we read about Bartimaeus' sight being restored right after the third passion prediction. But uh, our gospel readings have been plenty long, but what was omitted before that first passion prediction two weeks ago was the story of Jesus healing another blind man. This blind man was in Bethsaida. And we read the story that Pardon me. His friends brought this blind man to Jesus to be healed, much like the story we read about the paralyzed man whose friends bring him, drop him through the roof, lower him through the roof that Jesus might heal him. This man's friends brought him to Jesus and asked Jesus to touch their friend who was blind in order that he might be healed. And we read that Jesus got some saliva, put it on the, the man's eyelids and asked the man what he saw. And he said, I see people walking around like trees walking. I don't know how he knew, but that's how he described them. And then Jesus touched the man's eyes again, and the man was able to see. And Jesus sent him on back into the village. So we had a story back in chapter 8 about Jesus healing the sight of a blind man, and we have a story now in chapter 10 of Jesus healing a, a blind man. And sandwiched between those two stories are three passion predictions and many reminders that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's right, I said sandwiched. If you've been around, I've been talking about sandwiches for the last few weeks and what I wouldn't give for one now. In Mark's gospel, and Andrea pointed out to us when she preached in January, he oftentimes sandwiches one story with it in between another story. When Andrea preached about the, the hemorrhaging woman, the, the woman who'd been hemorrhaging <clears throat> for 12 years, that story was sandwiched or bracketed by the story of the healing of Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. We begin with Jairus approaching Jesus on his way to heal the hemorrhaging woman, or on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, the hemorrhaging woman touches the the hem of Jesus' cloak, and then Jesus goes on to heal Jairus' daughter. After and Andrea mentioned it that Sunday, the next Sunday, I just wouldn't let it go. And I talked about my love for sandwiches, you might remember. And uh, in that instance, uh, it was a story of <clears throat> Jesus sending the, the disciples out in pairs, which was sandwiched the story of the beheading of John the Baptist. Our reading today is the end, or the the top piece of bread, if you will, of a sandwich of two healings of blind men, which have as the filling all these passion predictions. And I think the purpose is that we might ourselves reflect upon our own blindness, our own inability to see who Jesus is, as the disciples are unable to see who it is Jesus is telling him them that he is and what he has come to do. 
The season of Lent encourages us to reflect upon the passion of Jesus. Three passion predictions. To see Jesus upon the cross. Our Catholic brothers and sisters often, almost exclusively, gaze at Jesus' body upon the cross. As Protestants, the cross is empty to remind us that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is no longer on the cross. But during Lent, we need to be reminded that, in fact, Jesus was on the cross. He suffered humiliation. He was turned over to the authorities. He was flogged and mocked and abused. Not because of anything he did, but because of who he is. And I think that we need to open our eyes to during this season of Lent, during the reading of these three passion predictions. This is the time to focus upon what Jesus has done for us. It's why we put the alleluias of Easter away during Lent, so that we can spend this time in confession and reflecting upon our own mortality instead. These stories of sight being restored encourage us to look more deeply at how we respond to the passion. Do we, like the disciples, rebuke, like Peter, rebuke Jesus, setting our minds on human things and not divine? Do we worry about our own place within the kingdom, seeking acknowledgement for what we have done, for what we have given up, for how closely we have followed Jesus? Do we resist the challenging revelations about Jesus becoming not to to be served, but to serve and inviting us to do the same? Do we see Jesus allowing himself to be turned over to the authorities in order that he might be mocked and flogged and spit upon, only to be crucified for our sake? Do we see the kingdom of God that Jesus has come to reveal? A kingdom that is predicated, not predicated upon power, at least not the power that we, as we typically see it. No, Jesus came in the power of love to shake the very foundation of the world so that we might begin to see the love that God has for all of us. The love that God has for all of creation. Hopefully through the repetition and the power of repetition, we like the disciples are beginning to see shapes Maybe they're shapes like those shapes of the trees walking that the blind man saw in Bethsaida as we are told about, again, about the greatness of the kingdom of God that now is appearing before us. No, greatness in the kingdom of God is not demonstrated by servanthood. It's demonstrated not by those who are in positions of power or sitting at the right hand of God, but instead it is demonstrated by those who are last, last of all and servant of all. Jesus explains that the first among you will be slave of all. How many times have we heard that? Over and over again. Do we see it yet? Do we hear it yet? On the Mount of Transfiguration, we hear the voice from heaven say, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. If you don't have eyes to see, then open your ears to hear the very words of God spoken by Jesus, who tells us time and time again who he is, 
what he came to do, and how we are to respond. We certainly will see who Jesus is as he washes the feet of the disciples and allows himself to be turned over to the authorities in a few short weeks. We will see when Jesus allows himself, as he predicted, to be turned over to the authorities. We will see when Jesus is nailed upon the cross for nothing that he has done, but because of who he is, King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ. We will see it when Jesus tells the thief who is crucified next to him, today, today you will be with me in paradise. The last being the first. And we will see it in the breaking of the bread and the blessing of the cup. So my friends, let us see. Let us see in order that our faith might make us well too. Might allow us to see as it did the the men in Bethsaida and Jericho. In order that we too might follow Jesus. Amen.